all night. I did all alright. They told me for years there was no money in podcasting. Well, they were all wrong. This is an ambiguous podcast solutions original podcast. A podcast years in the making. Centered around You're listening to Talking with Tarasha. With your host and founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, Will Tarashuk. Join Will and his guests as they talk about anything and everything under the sun. I say this all the time. Now, without further ado, let's do this. Yes, I know I have gray hair. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Talking with Tarashuk podcast. I am the man in the chair, Will Tarashuk. It's Tears and Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U. I'm in a great mood today. I'm about a week away from moving out of this apartment and being in an office, not just my living room. I am going to miss this big old comfy chair, though. I do love this chair. Uh, but today, I am speaking with a man by the name of Jonathan Pulsifer. He is an 11-year aircraft sheet metal mechanic who is currently transitioning into an entrepreneur land. His LLC is called Sin City Pressure Wash, uh, Wash Pressure Washing. That's too many washes. And it was founded in 2021. He has since moved back to Washington State, where he'll be starting his second LLC, as well as a podcast. We're going to have a lot to talk about. Jonathan, my man, welcome to the show. Do you go by Jonathan or JP? So John, no John. H, that helps. Somebody. John, J-O-N. Yep. Gotcha. And John, I'm going to ask you to just move a little bit to your left. You sent it in his box. I got you yep. in. Right here, gotcha. Yeah, right there. All right, so first off, hey, man, welcome to the podcast. You are, you reached out to me on TikTok uh, about probably a month, a month and a half ago saying that you wanted to come on chat. So I'm a man of my word. So he reached out to me and says, hey, let's talk. And I go, ooh, that's interesting. Bam, it happened. So it happened last week with, um, God, I forgot what he reached on me, LinkedIn. It happened this week on TikTok. So maybe yeah. my first TikTok guest. So, man, welcome to the show. Please introduce, introduce yourself and what brings you here today. Cool. Uh, glad to be here. First of all, you mentioned TikTok. And yeah, I've been on that app now for a few years. And you're the first person I actually reached out to as far as business. I uh, saw your, some of your content. Loved what I saw. Thought I might be a good guest to have. And so I reached out. Um, a little bit about me. Background, I was 10 and a half years of aircraft mechanic. Six and a half I did in the Air Force. Traveled from Arkansas. Did a short tour in uh, Afghanistan, Bagram to be specific. Came back stateside, and then uh, I transitioned to the Thunderbirds, which was a huge accomplishment in my career. That's kind of the tippy top of the mechanic world, if you will. And I spent the last two and a half years there, uh, loved my time, do amazing things. Uh, when I went to get out, however, I realized the uh, contracting world pays much better. Let's just say it like that. So transitioning from the military to that was interesting because then I got to see a union, you know, where my average age went from. 20 to 30 to more like 50 to 60 year olds that had, you know, done their time in the military, they'd served. And now they were at a point where they could unionize and kind of take it easy. And being the go, go, go me that I was, I didn't really mesh, I would say. And so after about 18 months, I left that company and went to an experimental company uh, named Draken International, who was in the middle of really groundbreaking stuff. Um, the F1 aircraft had never been in America before. And they got a shipment of them in from Spain. And essentially, I was one of the first to work on it from a sheet metal standpoint in America. And so we built a team. Uh, it took about 14 months in Lakeland, Florida. Built those up, came back. We ended up having two aircraft that were working at a Nellis Air Force Base. And that was kind of where my career ended as far as aircraft maintenance. I don't want to get in the weeds of it. But essentially, um, conflict of interest, had a falling out. I was in the middle of transitioning into entrepreneur land, as you said. And so it just, yeah, 
decided to part ways. And that's kind of at the end of 2021 is when I really started my LLC. Awesome. So I have, there's a lot, a lot of roads that can go down. We've got unions, we've got Thunderbirds, we've got sheet metal. So I go, I do, I do want to stick with the Thunderbirds because the Thunderbirds is one of the coolest things that yeah. like is even in aircraft. Um, explain to what people don't, who don't know what the Thunderbirds are, what they do, and I guess what exactly it is you did with them specifically. For sure. So they are known as the ambassadors of the Air Force. You know, when we go to air shows every weekend for nine months out of the year, they're essentially the front show. They're the speaker. You know, when people want to come up and have a conversation about essentially any part of the Air Force, we're supposed to be able to speak on it. So a lot of talking to all age ranges, Mm -hmm. um, traveling a lot, being the front line, front show. You know, you don't make mistakes when you're on the Air Force. You know, you don't have time to. And in the Thunderbird specifically, why it was my favorite squadron to be a part of is from the bottom to the top, you have to be able to talk to people on a common point. So there's no being afraid of the colonel at the top because you have to speak to him the same as you talk to your other maintainers. It just, it has to be like that. And anywhere else, it's a very different demeanor in the military. When you see a colonel or a chief walk by, you tend to straighten up, stand different, talk different, all those things. Well, it's intimidating, right? It's, it's, it's like they, they, they have a presence on them. They got all the pins on them. They, they, uh, I, was, I listened to actually TikTok the other day. It's just like you respect the title you don't necessarily need to respect the man, but you have to respect the title. And if it's a colonel, general, whatever, you know, their presence is just very intense just because of just the way they are and just their, their title they have. And going through your military training, you know, that is really metaphorically and maybe even physically beaten into you, the idea of the respect. No, absolutely. And they have to somewhat build a persona. And I don't yes. want to say that it's in there being fake, but it's just how they need to present themselves in every moment. And people take that differently. So let me, let me yeah. ask you like with, with the generals, generals, I guess generals in general, say that five times fast. Like when you're on TV, right. And you see like general Milley, I think is one of the highest generals in the U S army or Navy or whatever military. Um, when he's on TV talking to Congress, like is that demeanor that he has on TV similar to what a regular general would have in person? Like are, are is what we see on TV, like when they're on con- congressional meetings, kind of like what they are in real life and in terms of respectability and how they carry themselves. Absolutely. You have to be almost blank from emotion. You know, you have to go into a room and say the facts as they are, not up or down, just as they are. Whether the conversation is negative or positive, just say it flatline, how it is. And uh, yeah, that's how they walk in out of the room. Now, you go behind the curtains and you have the aftermath conversation. Of course, he's very much more human, shows empathy, all those emotions. But on the screen, whenever you're at a PR event, you absolutely need to keep your bearing. And Yeah, no, for, for sure. I, I hear you. Yeah, cause my, my, uh, my cousin is actually, um, he went through the military and he's, I, I, don't, I think he graduated officer school. He's trying to be an officer in the Marines okay. and every now and then he'll tell me like, this is a story. It was like, you know, I was with like my, uh, like my PO or whatever the, his official like ranking officer is above him. And he's just like, every now and then you get that human moment where you can just kind of joke and just kind of be like a person around him. I'm just like, man, that's fun. Cause I had that kind of relationship with my own boss, right? Like my regular nine to five job. It's just like, I still, I, that's why I love working for her and with her. Cause I still have that respect of you are my superior. You are my boss. You write my checks. But, like, we're on the road, I can still talk to, like, a person, have fun with you, joke around with you, and, like, talk about your cats. Bar, bar jokes. Let's call it bar, bar jokes. Bar jokes, yeah. Yeah. It's so, like, in the military, I, I think like, even more special in the military, you can have, like, man talk. 
especially with like yeah, someone who's like a, a, rank, a ranking officer. Sometimes. Yeah, it is. It's tough to break through that, but once you do, it feels good to have that moment. Yeah, it's 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 more the, more yeah. the camaraderie. So what what made you yes. seek out the military? You went right out of high school. Correct. So okay. I guess I was a very um, rebellious free-spirited kid you know i grew up in the country in washington kind of was able to run around the woods do whatever i wanted didn't know what i wanted to do after high school um but i ended up my senior year getting my girlfriend who eventually became my wife pregnant and that was definitely a push to do something bigger than myself you know that was definitely the moment where i was like all right i want to do something i'm going to do it right not just pick up a typical nine to five like anyone out of high school would in my small town so yeah the military was kind of my thing and i'm glad i did it um, six and a half years, I learned more than I could have ever expected. You no know, experience, things most people don't get to. And yeah, I'm grateful for it. Did you do Army, Marines, Navy? What what, what kind of like Air Force? Straight into the Air Force? Yeah, I was the Air Force. I was straight into the Air Force. Okay, so when you like go to apply for the Air, Air Force, did you initially want to be a mechanic, like an aircraft mechanic? Was that something kind of an opportunity that fell into your lap? Like how, no, great how, how do you go great from like boot camp basic training to, hey, I am, now, I am now repairing these aircraft? So in a very brief summary, it's essentially you take the ASVAB test and that'll place you into what you qualify for as far as jobs. From there, you sit down with a recruiter and he'll break down your top five list where, you know, hey, these are five things. Even if you've never heard of this before, is it something you're interested in? Um, I gave him my top five list and I want to say aircraft mechanic sheet metal specifically was my number three or four pick. So yeah, I got my top five and some people aren't that lucky. You know, some people go in open general, for example, or open mechanical, and they just get stuck with whatever job is the least manned usually whoever they need the most. So like, what are the requirements like for, for that specific job? Like you're, you're fresh out of high school, right? Rebellious mm -hmm. kid. Like, did you, do you need good grades? Like do they look at your rap sheet. They look at like your proc, I guess your report cards. Like, Oh, I got an A in math. Great. Like, or like, um, what are like, what are like the, um, if it was like, if it was like an actual like resume builder, right? Like a job interview, yeah. here's the requirements for the job. Like, what does that look like? Like, how do they Great place question. people? So, um, knowledge-based is the number one with the ASVAB test. And then secondly would be your physical fitness. You know, 80% of the people, um, in America get disqualified because of just physical fitness. They don't meet the requirements, whether <laughs> it's, whether it's height, weight, um, they might have scoliosis or some other disease where they just don't, they can't qualify. And so those are the top two things. After that, it really gets down to just telling the truth. You know, I've had friends who are great airmen that told right off the gate that they've done a handful of drugs before joining. And as long as they sign the waivers saying, oh, yes, you told us that this was true heading in, um, you can still get in. Uh, there's people that, you know, are in the Army and the Marines who have served time before in prison. And still, as long as, you know, you cross your T's and dot the right I's, you can still get in, absolutely. Um, the process for me was about three and a half months, which is pretty quick, from saying I wanted to join, going through a three-month debt program, which was the del delayed entry program. And, yeah, then going to basic training. And once I was in basic training is actually when I found out the job that I got. Interesting. So you see, you said yeah. former former convicts, like actual prisoners who got out of prison, can can join the military, no problem. Abs I mean, it depends on the level of crime. Yeah, it, depends, sure. yeah, it depends. It depends. Yeah. If, 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 but, but if the, the fact that they are a prisoner, paying the crime, doesn't automatically disqualify them. Correct. There's just more loopholes you got to jump through to join. That's you know what? Honestly, I never thought of that until just now, and I think I think that's a really good thing. Because you know, a lot of a lot of people who enter who leave jail, 
you know, they can't get a job. You know, they, 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 they have to declare that they were a convict or a federal penitentiary or whatever, or state jail, whatever. And that just exactly. automatically disqualifies them from a job for obvious reasons. And maybe it's in most circumstances, unfair reasons. So I am glad that an actual military is, is an option for them. And I, it would probably really does straighten them out. Like, did the military really straighten you out? Absolutely. It was exactly what I needed for the time. Right. You know, it was, I was, had all the passion in the world, had all the drive, had all the hard work, but I had no direction and no sense mm -hmm. of really a schedule or anything like that. So being forced to wake up at 4 a.m. and don't stop until 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night when you finally get to pass out, I needed that. You know, I needed someone to pound into me. Like, if you want to get stuff done, you do A, B, C, D, yeah. all the way through Z. And yeah, don't stop. And so, yeah, I definitely needed it. Um, changed my perspective a lot. You know, coming from Washington State, uh, my first base I got stationed at was Arkansas, Little Rock, and total culture shock. Yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't know people like that existed. It yeah. was interesting. Total change up. So what, um, but what, what part of Washington? Are you, are you near Seattle or like Bellevue? So currently I'm living in Olympia. Um, yeah. It's just about 45 minutes south of Seattle. But uh, I grew up in Raymond, super small town off of the coast, about 40 minutes from Oregon. So, so very liberal. Actually, I love this conversation. The opposite. So being in the super small town with a bunch of hard workers who just knew what 12-hour, 14-hour days, um, cleaning up cow shit, pardon my French, no, it's okay. um, doing, doing hay, you know, bucking hay in the summer, you know, all the hard work stuff, it was very conservative. And so it was interesting that when uh, – the whole liberal thing was going on, especially when Obama got elected, how the opposite of what people thought Washington was is what I grew up with. You know, I, I graduated in 2009, so Obama had just become presidency, and I saw how the outside world thought of Washington, and then my little pocket was way different, way different. Well, I, I figured Washington State would be more like, well, I guess most states in that area. Then you got this, you got the cities, which are liberal and the, the surrounding outskirts yep. liberal but the rest is all red that's just that's, exactly. what, I, that's what i would assume exactly. and you got like you know idaho utah um the dakotas out there who are just pretty much yep. all red like, same, other than like salt lake city which is pretty liberal even california outside of la and san francisco and sacramento and like oakland it, like northern california is pretty it's pretty much red other than major cities it's the cities have so many right. people in them well, you don't think of like lumberjacks and loggers as living in California, Oregon, and Washington, but that's some of our primary exports is logging. Right. So who do you think are logging these, you know, they're the big lumberjack dudes that aren't afraid of getting hit by a choker. The working class, man. Working class. The Gotta working love class. them. Yeah, yeah, so that's you have what I to, man. Up. They're the backbone back of this country. They always have been. They always will be. It's a damn shame they keep getting screwed over, but... 100%. I was watching a podcast just the other day. I believe it was Jordan Peterson talked about 99% of bricklayers in America are men. Mm -hmm. You know, what are, we're talking about all these statistics that, um, you know, this is a sensitive topic, but females in equal pay. And it's like, you know, where are we going to draw the line? Should we then start forcing it to be 50% females in the bricklaying business? How does that look? How does that shake out? And yeah, so it, it, was. it was a good, it was a good point. You, you got, you got to, you would have to force women into those jobs. And you know, the, exactly. the thing, the thing with the pay gap, the thing with the pay gap does annoy me because the way it's discussed, I don't think is genuine. Um, are, are women paid less than men on average? Well, yes, you know, that, that is, that is a fact. You can fact check me, but on, on most things that is a fact, but it's also a fact that men do more dangerous jobs, right? Men are typically 
um, or at least maybe not until recently, very recently, a little more ambitious. They rise up the ladder. You know, they, they're not home taking care of kids. They don't have to give birth. They don't have to take maternity leave. So it leaves them more opportunities, more time to actually focus on the career. Sure. You know, men have been doing these jobs for a lot longer. So women, women are entering that C-suite executive, which is phenomenal. They do a great yeah. job. All of my bosses have been women, and I thank God because they're the best. Yeah. Um, Rock on. Yeah. But, you know, they are entering this new space. So it's going to take time for them to catch up. Um, but also negotiating. Men are typically negotiate harder when applying for jobs. So if, if, if I'm working my job and a woman comes in, does the exact same job, are we making the exact same? Well, maybe. Should we be making the exact same? Well, maybe, maybe not. You know, if I negotiate a higher salary because I know what I'm worth, or even, even t- flip the tables. If a woman comes in who's more ambitious than me and goes, no, fuck you, I'm worth this much money, and the job can go, you know what? You're right. Here's the money. 100%. Give it to her. She deserves it, to her. it. Exactly. But to your point, should we force women to be bricklayers? Absolutely not. Absolutely no. not. Should we pay bricklayers no. more? Yeah, because that job sucks. <laughs> that job <Absolutely>. sucks. <laughs> that job does suck. Well, and on the flip side of that coin, you know, I think it's something like 80% of women go towards childcare. Yeah. So, so should we force, you know, 30% of men to now go into, it's, it's a whole complicated thing when you start talking about one topic in numbers, but you leave out all the rest. Right. And no, you shouldn't, yeah. you should do the, the answer is no, you shouldn't force anyone to do what they want. However, you should pay those women in childcare more. You should pay teachers more. Those, those jobs that, those jobs 100%. that women typically do, those caregiving jobs that they lean towards because it's in their nature. Yes, we should pay them more. A thousand percent. I, I think, I think a teacher should be paid way more than me. And I'm, I'm paid pretty well. And teachers, some teachers do make more than me. And I think they should. Some teachers make less than me, which I think they shouldn't. <laughs> I agree. I agree with all those points. Absolutely. But let's, let's actually kick it back to the military because a lot of people are like upset when it say women in the military, which to me is ridiculous, right? If, if you want to mm-hmm. serve, you should be able to serve, um, hands down. And now in, in your experience, um, in, were there any women in your boot camp and your training camp? Like, what? What? How have you have you experienced women in your military expertise? Like in your military experience? Yeah, for sure. So, in boot camp specifically, we have what's called sister flights. Okay. So we'll be in the same building, just separate parts. You know, it's like a male side, female side of the dorm, and there's male and female instructors on both sides. You know, I had many females um, cuss me out in the middle of everybody, and so it goes both ways when you're in basic training. Um, outside, it's very, much more. Uh, job specific so for sheet metal specifically in maintenance world i would say the ratio is probably close to 85 15 85 percent males 15 percent females is it very physically demanding your, that job absolutely yeah so yeah. my knees and wrists my knees and wrists took the bulk of it you know just mm-hmm. bending down onto a metal aircraft for hours and hours a day uh, or even standing to do the job and then on top of that you know my wrist so we use a rivet gun and basically, I don't know if you're familiar with the motion, but it's a piece of metal, tiny metal piece that you're shooting to squeeze two pieces of metal together. Yep. So the motion is essentially gun, gun going this way, and you have a bucking bar on the backside that's squishing it to flatten it. So over the years, my, my wrists are definitely going to need surgery. But that's one of the things that I knew kind of going into it, right. which I had good uh, supervisors that told me ahead of time to expect that. Right. And I, I think this goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway because, you know, it's the wor- it's the internet. If a woman, if a woman can do that, woman wants to do that, woman can handle that physically demanding challenge. She should be allowed to do that. Yeah, same for same for a transgender person or any non-binary person, whatever. If they can physically handle the task, they should be able to do it. However, combat 
Absolutely. And with the military, combat roles specifically, I think where a lot of the friction is, and this is where I do agree with the friction, um, they are lowering the bar for what it means to be in a combat role. It's like, right, like they got to do X amount of sit-ups, push-ups. You know, they have a physical, physical demeanor. Like they have to pass the physical exam. They are lowering the bar for what it means for a woman to enter that role. That's a problem. Absolutely. That is a problem. I think yeah. that's a problem. Because and it goes it's, both it's ways. Combat. Because, it both you know, ways. Like I can't I I'm saying as a man who cannot pass that test. I can't do it. I have a bad right. shoulder. I got Crohn's disease. I got asthma. Like I'm just I I'm not in shape at all. This there's, there's definitely women out there who'd be who'd score better on that test than me, but neither of us should be in that yeah. combat role if we can't pass the test. Well, and then you go into waivers. You know, right. once you start getting a certain certain age, your uh, the amount you have to do decreases, mm-hmm. which understandably to a point. But then you get into, oh, I sprained my ankle six months ago. I'm not going to have to do the run. All I got to do is the sit ups and push ups, and I pass. And then you milk that for another six months and another six months, and you see where I go. People will take right. advantage of it, and so yeah. these waivers uh, get people through that otherwise cannot hold up their end of the bargain, which means going downrange. Yep. If you if you can't if you can't carry that pack for ten miles on the run, the fifty pound pack, get those blisters on your feet that my cousin showed me. Like I don't care what gender you are, who you are, what color you are, you can't you can't do a combat role. And there's plenty of other ways you can contribute. Like Intel, I know women specifically are very very good at like those Intel roles, like in the Pentagon or in um like other overseas positions that they can do. That's not getting shot at. <laughs> and that's where I was actually going to segue into with my specific career is yeah. that a lot of women who just aren't feeling the sheet metal gig or maybe their supervisor thinks that of them. They usually go into a support role, which is like a CTK, which is where we have all our toolkits. And so they'll issue tools or inventory tools or, you know what I mean? Yeah. They, they transit, they're still technically in the sheet metal field because you have to know all the tools be, to be able to issue them out. Right. And if you're inspecting these tools, you have to know about them too, which usually the first four to six months, a sheet metal airman is at a base. That's kind of where he'll sit, is in support to learn the tooling. So yeah, anyways, that's a, yeah, females tend to, in our career field, land in that spot if they're not, one, good at the sheet metal gig, or if they're just not feeling it and the support system works more for them. You know, they're trying to make rank, so they want more time to study. That makes sense for them to go sit and support and have a limited, more limited amount to do. Right. Yeah, there's 100% a, a role for anybody who wants to join the military. You just, you just have to meet the requirements, right? It's, if you can't meet the requirements, you shouldn't change the requirements for anybody. 100%. And like, so yes. do you think military recruitment has been down over the past few years? And I saw this, something, is a, this, is a, this is this is also very complicated, but you know, who better to ask than someone who's actually gone through the process? Um, no, you're right, and I appreciate you uh, asking me these heavy questions. And, um, and there, and there is, I'll, I will say, there is no one answer to this. But I saw something. Like, I think it might have been Fox News the other day that it's because of the woke military. Now, out of all the reasons it could be, I think that's the last one. So why do you why do you think recruitment for the military? I, mean, I have my reasons, but why do you think the mil- recruitment for the military is done? Yeah. So staying on that line with the woke culture, sure. I think the whole the whole woke movement had always good intentions. Right. It just went too far left. 
it went too far left. So same concept with the military, you know, we went from every hard worker who busted his ass was getting a five EPR, which is the highest you can get on a listed progress report. So it went from that to, all right, now you can't just do the bare bones. Now you have to take a college class to receive a five. Then it went to, okay, now you have to do a college class and get some volunteer opportunities to get a five. And eventually the people who were busting their ass for 12, 14, 16, 20 hour days, they didn't care, but they didn't have that college credit or they didn't have that thing started to lose, lose that gain in rank. So now people who were just sitting in the books, but not working at all, they were just sitting in the computer doing all their stuff and going to the volunteer events and showing up to the lemonade stands and doing all that political stuff in the background. Now they're making rank and getting promoted. So now you have a bunch of master sergeants. That's really the rank that it got convoluted in the Air Force. You have these master sergeants who are over the top of tech and staff sergeants who are actually better at their job than that person. But now you have to take direction from this person that you no longer respect. And then it gets into um, the airmen just stopped having respect for their seniority. And I think that happened around 2013. When I got back from Afghanistan, I really noticed it. It felt like high school all over again. And that's really when I think it started to get different was so the EPRs changed for grading, which I think was started out with a really good intent because there were some people who were receiving those five EPRs that did not deserve them. But then the really hard workers got shafted on the back end, the ones who were in the trenches doing the hard stuff. For, for example, you know, when I went to the Thunderbirds, it was, uh, it was all alphas. You know, you don't get to the Thunderbirds unless you are a quote-unquote alpha male who everything you do, you bleed blue. You don't get there otherwise. Right. And so how do you give only 20% of these rock stars a five-star rating? You know, that's tough. That's tough to break it down like that. And then people who, once again, think they deserve that five start getting angry at the people who received it. And then, yeah, it just, it, get, it was interesting to watch it all unfold. I'm blessed that I went through during that time, honestly. Because even, I got to see the don't ask, don't tell go through when mm-hmm. I was in basic. Mm-hmm. And so that was a whole thing too. That, that was just, that was dumb. <laughs> I'll say that old don't ask, don't tell thing was, you know, honestly, on, I, on paper, yeah, you know, just, just, don't ask, don't tell, it won't be an issue, right? Like, on in theory, in theory, it makes sense, but, it, you know, it shouldn't have been an issue to begin with. Agreed. See, okay, that's, you know, that answer is way different than my answer. Because um, I'm glad, I'm, you know, I'm glad I asked you, because I have never heard an answer like that to that, to that question. And that's not, a, that's not an answer you're going to see on any, like, mainstream platform. Or maybe Agreed. many, maybe many, even, maybe many podcasts. These are not the ones I listen to. So... It was. You think it's more of like um. That sounds a little more like politics. Uh, it is 100 percent politics. So, 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 so it's just like inner workings of the military politics. Of course, of course. So there's the there's the guys that withhold information. You know that's that's right. one of my key components to someone who's going to mess up an organization is if you have a bunch of information that would help your staff sergeants and your airmen, but you refuse to tell them so that they have to come through you for a middleman. That's where it really starts because then when your airmen or staff sergeants see that behavior. Now they start finding ways to go around you. So now there's a miscommunication. Now there's a gap because you failed them first. And then um, the breakdown goes a step further when now those staff sergeants are not getting uh, what they want, rightfully so, and they start to withhold information. Now the airmen aren't getting information. So now there's multiple breaks in the chain. And just the communication, it, it continued to get bad as my years progressed. 
Okay. Interesting. So yeah, I was yep. gonna, I was gonna go whole length the whole length of you know people don't like the U.S. citizens are kind of more aware of what the military is actually doing around the world. Now I don't want to disrespect the work you did in Af- like the, the service you did in Afghanistan, but we were there for twenty years. In in reality, what did the U.S. accomplish? You know, that's, oh man, you know that that's debatable. But look at Afghanistan yeah. now. You know, the U.S. The U.S. government is withholding their funds. Granted, because it's it is the Taliban. You know, you don't want to get their funds. Right. But the response, the the, the, the the consequence of that is they're starving. There's a famine in Afghanistan right now. That's partially because of us, because we're mm-hmm. making we're freezing their assets, their money, so they can't do anything. You know, we look look you look what's going on in Ukraine right now. Granted, boots are on the ground, but we're funding that. You know, we can you can talk all day about how the U.S. military escalated that over the past ten years. You know, we're funding Saudi Arabia where they're committing genocide in Yemen. So I think people is kind of aware of what the globalization and what we are actually doing as a country to the rest of the world. That it's like fuck that. I don't want to be a part of this. So do you do you think American citizens are aware of that, or do you think it's just so much noise and people are so busy? It's just people like me who this are news junkies and kind of follow this certain certain channels and are just cynical because I'm 28. I would like to hope that people like us are about to go from the minority to the medium amount of people. Mm-hmm. That's that's my hope, is that people who think freely and actually do their research outside of headlines mm-hmm. will start to be a little bit more of the majority. And I, I don't think they'll ever be the majority. I think you know mainstream media at large has kind of done a really good job of diluting uh, the minds of most modern day Americans specifically, you know, I've been abroad, but I can't speak on their technology and how it affects them. But Americans specifically, you know, if your only platforms that you're searching for information are anything on the media, you know, your CNN, Fox, NBC, any of those, or Facebook and Instagram, that's your only platforms that you're looking for information. You're getting 20%, maybe. 20% of the true information. There's Mm -hmm. so much else going on, but you have to dig for it. You have to actually put in the work. And so uh, to answer your question about um, what was it basically, what do I think about the political stuff in the military? Yeah, do you think all that really, all the stuff we're doing really plays a factor into like military recruitment? Or do you think people just have their blinders on? They just don't, they just don't, they really don't know. Like, do you really think that the, 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 yeah. enough people just don't, just don't know this is what's actually happening? Yeah, so I'm going to touch on it only because it just have a soft spot for me with the Bagram Air Force thing with us essentially losing billions of dollars worth of materials, whether it be weapons, aircraft, we, we lost it. And it was a failure on the commander-in-chief at the time. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Whoever the commander-in-chief was at that time, that was on him. Correct. So I'm not going to say the name, but... <laughs> we all know what you mean. It's all good. Correct. So... <laughs> That base, Bagram Airfield, was a very, very well-built base. There was four checkpoints that you had to get through before you could even step foot on what we would consider the base. If they missiles and all of our equipment would have been there, that would have never happened. The fact that we just let them, essentially similar to what happened on January 6th where the guards just let that riot happen. They stood to the side, very similar. That's what I felt like. And it hurt a lot because my mission was more aircraft related, but I, um, I worked missions where I saved people's lives and that touched me. It was upsetting to see um, all that work. Like you said, 20 years, 
felt like almost down the drain. And anyone who's ever served over there took a black eye that day. Mm. So yeah, that's kind of what I'll say on that. All right, I'll I'll move I'll move away from that. Thank you for answering those questions. It's not absolutely. It's, it's not it's not easy. I try to be real. Yeah, and like I wouldn't if I, I I you know I've only known you for like a half hour now, but you don't seem crazy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask you if I thought you were crazy. I wouldn't have asked. You seem like a very level-headed, reasonable person who can give a reasonable, level-headed answer. You know what? That's exactly what I got. Um, so let's let's go over to the actual like repairing of the aircraft yeah. and like you as a traveling sheet sheet metal mechanic. So even like yeah. this is gonna be a dumb question. What is sheet metal? Is that is this, the, this literally the actual metal that goes on the plane that it gets like yes. bent around? It's like the nose of the plane, so it's like the wings of sheet metal. Correct. Okay. So the two typical types we work with are aluminum and steel. Um, some of them can be heat treated to different tempers and that sort of thing. But basically, it's a quarter inch or an eighth of an inch or a half inch thick uh, piece of metal, and we can essentially cut bend as we need. Uh, some of them do need to be hand formed. So it's not like you can just bend up every single shape with uh, typical tools. Some things actually have to be ordered and sent in specifically, you know, by either Lockheed Martin or um, uh, McDonnell Douglas, you know, whatever aircraft we're working at at the time. We have to send in our specs and say, hey, we need this specific part sent. And then I fabricate everything else around it, depending on what the repair is. You know, sometimes pilots can what's called over geojet or over under geojet. And inside the wing, there's actually ribs that look almost like a doorstop, and they'll just shatter, you know, mid-flight. And once they get back down to the ground and we realize what happens, usually avionics does their diagnostics, and then we'll dive into what the actual repairs need to be. But yeah, essentially from start to finish, um, we get a problem. Let's just say it's a hole in a wing. We go to our technical order, our TOs. We look up the blueprint on it, essentially graph out, you know, what type of metal that it needs, um, how thick it needs to be. Draw, draw out, lay out a pattern, cut it out, form it how it needs to be, and then shoot rivets into it, like I was explaining earlier. Um, yeah, it's metal on metal. What's, what's like the most common thing that needs to be repaired? Like, what's like, I guess the most common um, part of the plane that gets damaged? I don't know how to answer this. Great question. question. Yeah. So we have these things called anchor nuts. Um, I worked with some New, New Zealanders and also some people that were from South Africa, and they called them anchor nuts. But uh, basically, it goes on the backside of a panel. So even when you have your panel on top of it, you can just set the screw in and drill it in. So essentially, it's two little rivets that hold on a nut that's just floating on the backside. So that when you put your fasteners in over a panel, it just goes right in. So those typically break often, whether a crew chief is screwing it in too hard or someone you know, hit it with a tool, they tend to break often. So getting called out to the flight line to replace an anchor nut Fairly common. You, you, you ever thought about getting a pilot's license when I fly? Absolutely. You know, I think probably for me, it's like 10 years, 15 years away. I have a few other things I want to do first, but I know enough about the system that I don't think it would be more than probably 18 months for me and I'd have it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's move over. So you did 11 years of that. Um, you said, you know, things fell through. You went, you got, you had butt heads and you had to go your own way. Um, and yep. then you formed your LLC in 2021, and this is the Sin City Pressure Wash, uh, pressure washing. Yep. So how how do you go from? I'm working on airplanes. I'm I'm doing these shows, these air shows. I'm talking to a bunch of people, public speaking. To you know what? 
time to do a power washing in Las Vegas. Take take me Great take question. me take me from there. You can you can you can uh, you can skip where your butted head's sitting. You don't want to talk about that. But how do you how do you go? Like, listen, power washing is what I gotta be doing right now. Yeah. So I have my hand in a lot of different ideas and people. You know, people are kind of my passion. I have friends that are scattered all over the U.S. and we all have big ideas. And uh, when I was getting ready to be done with Draken, I knew my time was coming close. I'm gonna take a drink of water real quick. No, go ahead. Um. One of my friends, Craig, actually offered to be my first investor. And so he set me up with a $10,000 pressure washer. Um, that was from North Star. Awesome pressure washer, first of all. Then probably about another $1,000 into the licensing and actually forming my LLC. And then he had um, some family issues come up where he had to remove himself. So I essentially took it on kind of all of a sudden by myself. And instead of navigating through finding my own customers and having to scramble like that, I had already had a buddy who I was working for doing window cleaning. Mm. And so essentially I just had him contract me out. Um, he had a bunch of clients, so he always had work for me. And so contracted me out under my LLC and worked for him while trying to build my own clients, which over the course of the year, I didn't exceed my expectations by any means when it came to my own clients, but at least I got the experience of working close to someone who had already done it. You know, they built it from the ground up and had a good functioning business that was growing. He ended up buying a second truck for, uh, you know, crews to go out and run routes. And he had his big truck to do, um, you know, the higher houses, bigger houses. We have what's called a water fed system where you can do like 60 foot windows from the ground. So right, 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 pretty much just right place, right time. The opportunity presented itself and you capitalized on it. Yeah, and then now that I've learned the system and how to do it, you know, I moved up here to Washington to be closer to family, and I'm going to emulate the same thing here. I actually have a better LLC set up this time as far as having one underneath the other. And right. so, um, yeah, I just it's smarter. Um, I have a good plan now. You know, I'm not taking it too too hard, too crazy. Just let it come as it, as it goes. That's kind of crazy. Like, I feel like a lot of businesses start that way. Like, even my own business, Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, if I didn't go to Long Island, New York, to visit some college buddies while I was going to see a wrestling show that weekend, and I didn't bump into my buddy Jared, and we didn't talk about business, and I didn't get laid off that next Monday, none of this would have happened. It's just, right. it really is right place, right time, and the right idea with the right people. You said like you had, you had an investor who gave you some cash. Man, I am jealous of you, because I, yeah. but again, you know, I have two or three partners who had things I don't have, which is a studio. Someone knows how to do marketing and someone knows how to do tech and build an app. There we go. And Jeez. I just have this crazy goddamn idea about podcast networks and podcasting RSS feeds. And they just happen to know how to put it all together. And yet, you know, here we are four years later, still trying to put it all together. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, as, as you said earlier in the podcast, it's all about the work ethic, it's all about the grind. You got to have that. So you having that entrepreneur spirit, where do you get, your drive? Where do you get your motivation? What is your muse to really be an entrepreneur and fight for every dollar you have to make? Pulling from opposite directions. I don't know if you're a fan of Gary Vaynerchuk, but actually you remind me a lot of him. You're, you're... <laughs> oh, Gary V. It's only, it's only a matter of time before another, another entrepreneur podcast mentions Gary V. If I remind you of Gary V, man, thank you very much. Um, you're welcome. I am Your not, intro I, actually reminded me. I have. Oh, thank you. I, that, that in, I love that intro too. Uh, the, the voices are all me, by the way. Um, 
I don't love or hate Gary V. I just accept Gary V for who Gary V is. I respect the hustle of Gary V. I have pulled a lot of inspiration from Gary V when I was uh, 22 years old and just getting the idea to start a business. I used Gary V as motivation. Um, not so much what he said, but thank you. If I remind you of Gary V, that makes that makes me laugh and it makes me smile. Yeah, so he um, what was the original question? I apologize. Um, what like what as an entrepreneur, what gives you that drive to keep to keep That's working right. every day? Because no, entrepreneurs, I work I work 12, 13, 14 hour days. I work I worked Saturday and Sunday this past weekend. You know, like the work never stops. Hundred percent. So, what, so, what what makes you wake up in the morning and go, let's go, let's do it. So pulling from opposite directions, just genetics. I was blessed with amazing genetics. You know, my mom and dad have gone through their roller coaster of life but they blessed me with this ADHD spirit where I just can't stop the shining. You know, I just walk through the day and I'm just happy. I can't help but be happy. So that in itself, amazing, blessed. And then uh, my children, you know, my, I had my first daughter when I was 19 and I have a big rib tattoo of her that just reminds me of why I'm doing this. You know, I'm building a legacy, not only for myself, but to leave behind for them because as much as proud as they make me, I want to do the same, you know, cause they do, they make me proud every day. But I want to do the same. And so I can't wake up every day and give it half-ass and expect to be proud. I, I want to earn this. And, you know, that's why I haven't gotten into this yet. But I intermittent fast. And one of the reasons why is that I think, I think you need to earn it. You know, I think you need to wake up every day, kind of hustle, do your thing, get some business done. And then around noon to one, I usually eat my first meal. And, yeah, it's like back in the tribal days, you know, you had to earn your first meal. You don't just wake up and go to the refrigerator and get your food. I, I love that. I, I, I also do intermittent fasting. Uh, not for that reason, but I'm not saying it's for that reason. I love that. Um, yeah. I do it because I do believe that you should eat all of all of your eating should be done in an eight-hour window, um, whether it's from when the first time you eat to the last time you eat. Like, it doesn't, need, it doesn't need to be when you wake up. It can be, okay, I'm eating something at noon. Once 8 o'clock hits, I'm done eating. No more Correct. eating until the next day. Um, and I also have digestive issues. So I got Crohn's disease. I got to watch my diet. Um so intermittent fasting has been really good for me as well. It, I, it's for some reason it's very good for my energy. Um, well, it's science, you know. I don't want to get too heady with it, but it really is. You know, your body's only meant to digest for twelve hours. If yeah. you're not getting, if you're not getting that rest after the twelve hours, you're not doing what your body needs. You're not giving it that rest period, and it actually regenerates cells. If you want to be break it down after that twelve hour period, your yeah. body finds other ways to fix itself. I mean, it works for me, right? It's 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 my system, and that might change uh, in a week and a half when my girlfriend and I move in together, and she's probably gonna be cooking a lot more. So we'll we'll see if I still fast, but you know, I, I I hope so. I hope so because I do I do like my eating schedule because it, it lets me get more work done. I really I have another reason I do intermittent fasting is so I can get more work done. Um, but I'm very I'm very happy you said that your motivation is your family because I feel the exact same way. Um, granted, it's a family I don't have yet. So, you know, I have my parents back home. I got my family here in Jersey as well. But I work as hard as I do because I am chasing that American dream. You know what I mean? Like I want to buy I want to buy my house. Me and my girlfriend want to get married. We want to be able to afford that. We want to have two or three kids. We want to buy I, a house I love in New Jersey. I love this right now. So, like I wor- I'm working these 14-hour days now so I can get that, be a father, and then, and then I can hopefully cut back a little bit on the business and just enjoy my time. But for now, I'm 28 years old. It's all about, it's just the grinds. And the thing with this podcast is I've been going extra. It's like, so I started last year, this Talk My Tarashik podcast, where it's like, all right, I'm actually going to make a push 
on this business. No more setting things up. I'm going to just start going. And January of last year, this time last year, you know, I started. And then ever since then, it's been going harder and harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. And it's just like I'm sitting in my chair going, I could do more. I could be doing more. And the financial gain isn't quite there yet. It's getting there, but it's not quite there yet. But I am getting a lot of people in my real life consistently talking to me about my podcast, which to me is the best part. That's the, that's, that's where the real work pulls off. So you've seen my TikTok channel. It's about 400 followers on there. Not a lot. Yep. Not terrible either. But – People in but you're life. one TikTok away from having half a million. You know, that's how TikTok works that these really, days. That really you, is how it works. You have one video. That one really, video. It's going to be, hopefully it's, hopefully it's this one. Uh, that, hey, <laughs> that, that really is how, that really is how it works. But now my, my point is the people in real life who come up to me all the time, almost every single day, is worth more than like my new strategy works off on YouTube and I get a, a few more thousand views or whatever. So that's, that's really cool. I'm really happy that I have people like you reaching out to me to find guests. Like the fact that I don't have a headache and like I have people, I have to, I have to turn down people now because I have so many fucking people reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. It's amazing. Yeah. So the hard work does pay off in different ways. But yeah, me and you, man, we're fighting for the same things as you already got what I want. Yeah, I love being on the opposite side of the coin uh, for this reference because yeah, I already did it. You know, I look this young. But I've lived that whole life. You know, I, I built a family. I was married for 10 and a half years. I did the multiple careers and I was making upwards of 90, 95,000 at my height, but I was spending all of it, you know, not on anything crazy, just on my kids and eating out too much and yeah. living the life, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. And then around 27, 28 is when I really realized that and started going the opposite way where I wanted to downsize, you know, I always knew I wanted a Tesla. And so I drove around a little, 2018 Nissan Versa for three years until I could afford the Model Y. And then so last year I pulled the trigger on the Model Y. And so there's so many things that I was like, I know I'm going to get there one day. I know I'm going to get there. But it wasn't until I had that realization moment where I had to kind of take a step back um, and figure it out. But yeah, now I get to be the opposite. Now my kids are very tucked in safely in Nevada, living with their mom. They know that I'm out here dislocated and hustling. I'm I'm in hustle mode. Um, I actually just took two trips back to back. Uh, the last two months, I went to Vegas for five days to do window cleaning, hopped on a plane, went to Chattanooga, and then spent five days doing real estate. And my buddy Matthew is just killing it in Chattanooga. And so I went to help him flip some houses. And I'm probably going to continue that process. You know, I got some project management stuff here plus my window cleaning, but I just want to be all over the place. That's awesome. And like, you know, this sitting, sitting here listening to you talk and then me reminiscing on what I just said. This is very uniquely American, this kind of a lifestyle. And sometimes it really sucks. Like sometimes it's just like, man, I'm doing this for no money. You know, I can't afford a house. I can't do this. I can't do that. You know, I need help. But other times it's like, it's going to pay off. I'm going to look back on this day and be like, yeah, it was worth it. And that's, it, and that's it, it, really, it really is like I say, I said earlier, I'm chasing the American dream. But at the same time while chasing them, at the same time living it. It's really that's, weird. Gary Vee moment right here. Trust the process. Like the, if you fall in love with the process, which it sounds like you already have, you, you got it. It's only a matter of time now because you're, you're going to wake up every day and be doing this because make you happy. You see the gains already. You've already seen that climb. And just as long as you keep on that rotation, it's going to pay off, man. I can already tell. Well, you, you know, this as an entrepreneur, right? It has, its, it has its ups and downs. It has its ebbs and its flows. And recently I was very much in an ebb. 
where it's just like, fuck, man. Like, I got these built. Q1 is just the worst for us because when all of our yearly subscriptions are up, we've got to pay everything. So it's just like Q1's the toughest because it's like I got I got so much money I got to come up with, and I don't know how I'm going to come up with it. So um, Nobody wants to do business around the holidays. I, I run a window cleaning company in Washington. You know, Nobody wants their windows cleaned in December. That's so, it. But yeah. it, was, it was sometime last week where I had, a, I, had a, I had a click, and it's like I'm back in a flow state. And I'm not going to lie, it was ChatGPT. Do you know what ChatGPT is, the, the text AI? Of course, and I haven't hopped on it yet, but I, but I feel that energy because it is revolutionary. I started using it. I started playing with it, and my creative juices got flowing. It's just like, oh, I got ideas. And when I have ideas, it gets me motivated. I want to try those ideas. Yes. I like, like you see what the, the, these podcast playlists I got. You know, that's an idea I've wanted to try for a long time. And like, you know, I was like, I was waiting for one thing. I was waiting for another thing. And it was just in December. I was like, you know what? I'm tired of waiting. I'm just going to do it and I'll figure it out later. And I did. Yep. And it's pretty cool. But I got this chat GBT idea. It's like, okay, I think this is going to take me to that next level. So I'm very much in a flow state right now. And that, that's, that's just fun. That's just fun. And what I can tell someone to get out of an ebb state where things just suck is just power through. Just power through it. Just keep pushing. Keep working. Keep your head down. Knuckles to the floor. And keep having conversations. You know, I, I've made so many connections in the most random places. Mm. And so just keep having the conversations. This, this right here being one of them. You know, I, like I said earlier, you're the first person that I really reached out to on TikTok for business purposes. And I didn't know how it was going to turn out. For all I knew, you were going to tell me to F off. And, but yeah, here we are having a great conversation. All right, man, you caught my attention. And that's just, that's my weakness. If someone catches my attention, I can't say no. Um, but if you really want to network and you really want to meet those connections, start a podcast, which I know you're thinking of doing. So we can wrap up this conversation with some Q&A. Man, Absolutely. The, the floor is yours. I have, I have the rest of the night. Whatever questions you want to ask about podcasting, your content creation, some strategy, the floor is yours. I'm an open book. All right, let me grab my other sheet of paper, and I'll be right back. Go ahead. Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill time here while he's going off into the other room. So, yeah, this is actually – I'm – I'm a little not surprised, but I'm pleasantly surprised actually how well John is very well spoken in his podcast. I've not talked to him ever before this. It's a few messages on TikTok. Um, you know, right when he hopped on, we started talking. I was like, "This is this is gonna be good." And I, you know, I had some questions written down, some bullet points. I haven't really hit them. This has just been a completely raw conversation. If you want to be another raw conversation, just like this, you're like Jonathan. Um, and want to hop on the Talk More Talk, Talk More Tarish podcast, it's will at APSpodcast.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T.com. Let's have a conversation. All right, John, I stalled enough. Perfect timing. Perfect timing, Will, as usual. So my first question, and I actually asked this right before, I believe, yep. which was me being the bubbly, light heart, lighthearted person that I am, I would like to do something similar to when people were walking down the streets of Venice and having the little microphone. How do I incorporate that into business and the three places I should post that content? Okay. Well, I'll start at the three places. Uh, the three places are going to be TikTok, which you're already on. Um, it's going to be Instagram because you know, they're trying to compete with TikTok. And it's going to be yep. YouTube because all videos should live on YouTube, right? You know, you can record the things on your phone. You can get a little microphone connector on your phone. Um, if you want inspiration, uh, I don't know if he's still on YouTube, but I stopped watching him. Fleckus Talks 
I think it's F-L-E-C-C-A-S Talks. If not, he's definitely on Rumble because he's a little conservative. He probably got shadow banned and fed up. But I have Rumble also. But um, politics aside, just kind of watch him for how he does his content. He's literally just out there at rallies, at whatever, asking people questions. What I would do on top of that is once you have that down and all those stuff recorded, all those videos, take the videos, extract the audio, mix them together, and release the audio as a podcast. Because like because you are very easy to talk to. You are very intelligent. You have a good head on your shoulders and you have shit to say. And you have experiences to share. So in terms of your business, you know, it depends on what you're trying to do. You just got to get yourself comfortable with going to a park or a college campus or a mall right. and just being comfortable approaching strangers. You, know, you do the reps. Yeah, you do the reps. But how you incorporate that into your business, you know, that depends on your business and your strategy. You're trying to get content for your business to promote your business, right? So even if you have a, an audio Correct. Pod- so I guess to add context on that, uh, the person that I was working with before, he did a really good job of posting content of the houses, mm-hmm. but I feel like he had a miss where he could have had an interaction with the customer to also add some extra content in between the pictures of shiny panels, you know? So if you're trying to do realty, um, whether it's commercial or residential, you should do a. Does he own his own? Does he own? Does he own his own realty? How many people does he have working for him? So the person who does window cleaning, he only has about three or four people working for him. But the project management company that I just applied for, and I'm pretty sure I got the job, is probably ten to fifteen deep. With their with their people that work for them, their clients, they have about two hundred homes they manage. Okay. So, but do, do they, do they, they list and sell the homes? Yeah. So whoever is, whoever is, so here's what, here's, here's what they should do. This is what I would suggest. I think it's going to be very successful because I love that you brought up Realty because this is my go-to example. Um, the firm okay. should have a podcast network, audio and video, right? The, the video goes on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube for the main ones. The audio goes on iTunes, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. The, fir- the firm has a, has a network podcast. And in that network podcast is all the people who sell houses. And what that person who sells the house does is going to do a five-part series. It's going to be an episode on the property, the square footage, you know, the, 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 the yard, the size, the number of bathrooms. It's informational. Straight up, here's the information. It's two-bedroom, three-bath. Um, this is the kitchen. This is the appliances. This is straight facts. The second episode is going to be the neighborhood. What part, of the, what part of the county it's in? What part of the town? What schools nearby? What shopping marts are nearby? Right? The third is going to be, you know, something, something else. Like how much it costs. How much the mortgage is. What the rates are. You know, how they can afford it. It's a 15-year mortgage on this percent interest rate. You can refinance this, that, and the other. You know, and the fourth and the fifth can be anything else that comes to sell a house. That audio and video is going to go everywhere. Um, and each realtor is going to have their own podcast feed where they just do that for their houses. And as soon as the house is sold, you just take it down. If the house goes back on the market, you put it back up. So the network feed is just going to be all the content for the full realty and then an additional feed for each realtor. So like if, you're, if you're selling houses, you're going to do like a three-part series on uh, 123 Bradford Street, another three-part series on 426 Redford Street. And then your, your coworker is going to have um, 
their own three-part series on the office building over on Main Street, as well as, you know, the empty lot on 123 Fake Street. So if you are an individual realtor, someone comes to you because they like your stuff, and if you're a good realtor and you give them good rates, they can be like, hey, listen, I have other properties. Can you just share this feed with me? Here's all my other properties all in one place. Or they, you can direct them to, um, say you, have, you don't have enough time, you're too busy, you have too many clients. You're like, listen, if you're looking for a realtor, here's the network feed. Here's all of our clients, all of our realtors on this one feed. Here are the listings. Here are the videos. Find who you like. Give the audience, the person looking to buy a house, options in what they want to do and who they want to work with. Because you as a podcast host and the realtor as a podcast host are going to become a personality. And I say you don't want to be a character. You know, the best character is your own personality turn up to 11. Yep. All, all that makes sense and see like you can see how that would fit into a business model. Absolutely. Just listening to it, I felt like I was hearing a pitch from someone in the early 80s when they were talking about radio. You know, if all the realtors would have started their own radio podcast and, you know, had their own series, like you said, eventually at 8.32 a.m., Rhonda is going to hear about it and make the phone call. And then from that point, like you said, it would probably then go to a YouTube subscription, Mm -hmm. which would then be, like you said, a $5 fee, let's say, but you have access to all these good realtors and then you get even more choosy where you have your own you just pick like, oh, I liked that one. Yeah. But that and, makes no that makes little sense. And like and like the benefit for the business, creating a podcast and distributing is free. It's free. Like if you have to like list it somewhere and you gotta put up signs on the road, you know, that costs money. The only thing a podcast costs is well, it's free. And you can put SEO and marketing behind it to make sure it grows. You gotta share it a little bit, but the really only cost is or like, or or for example, if they, if someone's uncomfortable getting in front of the mic, you need to hire a host. Like you could hire someone like me to do some research on the property, and we'd sit down for forty five minutes, and I'd, I would ask them questions about the property, like I was buying the house, right? And that's just I would I would take the take the um the role of someone buying. I'd role play, and I would I would ask questions that someone would ask a realtor about if they want right. to buy a house and you can answer you're, you're those questions. questions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I would, I'd, I'd ask about the school districts, right? Well, what's, what's the closest school? Are there bus, are there, are there buses? Can I, does my kid go on a bus? I got to drop them off to school every single day. Right? Correct. Like stuff, stuff a realtor should know. So you, you, your business communicates through creating content. You communicate, you communicate through content, not just for real estate. See, this is so interesting because I have a videographer who's been wanting to get out to Chattanooga to help out my real estate buddy, Matthew. Mm-hmm. And so if I can get the two of them together and put this into play, because he already has a few investors in the area, you know, have, like you said, once a week, have one of them come up and give their pitch or set up their, set up their three to five part system like you gave the strategies. And I guarantee you they get business. And if, if you have access to the property, um, Bring a table in, bring your cameras in, record it in the living room. Yep. And, right, and while you're talking about it, so say like you're talking about the living room, the bathroom, you, you put B-roll over it. So you, t- you take raw footage of the bathroom, the shower, the cabinet space, the basement, the boiler, the washer dryer, the driveway, the garage, the basketball hoop, the pool, right? When you talk about all those things, you can overlay footage on top of it for YouTube to make it a little more interesting. 
You know, you get and that's you got, the kind of stuff that gets on TikTok too. Yes, yes. I, I see realtors on TikTok. I'm like, motherfucker, you need a podcast. This needs to be audio somewhere because the audio is very valuable and the video is just a cherry on top. Yeah. And if you need someone to like edit the audio and do the video, they know that's something the biggest podcast solutions can offer. And that's my next step. So I'm at the point now where I have a decent amount of equipment for my LLC. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of my partners in place already. Now I just need some content creation and probably a personal assistant because I've already had to take in so many phone calls that I don't want to say I'm overwhelmed, but it's to the point where I should probably have someone. Right. Well, I can't, can be, I can't be a personal assistant. I actually need, I probably need one myself. I do, I, do, I, I do this entire podcast by myself, including all the social posts, which is very overwhelming, but I'm very good at time management. I am very, I am a very um, efficient worker. I am very good at, multi, I am very good at multitasking. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I, if you're looking to get into realty, content yeah. is going to be your best friend. It's just a matter of how creative you can get with it. And it's, you know, you can give me a call and you can spitball ideas because that, that's the realty thing. something I've been thinking about for a while. And I don't think I've ever actually sat down on a podcast and really, really explained it out that way with someone else. Okay. So. And just to throw a shout out to my friend, Washington, uh, first name, Jerome, he, uh, was in the Thunderbirds with me as well. And I know, first of all, that he'd love to get on a podcast with you and do a similar type of setup right here. But also, he's into content creation as well. And so if you wanted to set something up with him, he might be able to help you out on somewhere that I just don't know where you need it. Absolutely. Yeah, let's, best, let's make that happen. Uh, any other questions? I think, honestly, that one was my main one that I had. So um, other than that, as far as setting up podcasts goes, I'm probably going to reach out for some equipment tips. Um, other than that, I can I can send you links to our store. Um, currently, the uh, our we set up our dropshipping store through Shopify. You know, we got Rode equipment. Rode is one of the we have a partnership with Rode. Rode is one of the best names in microphones and equipment. Um, we're selling it discounted. You won't. I'm pretty sure you won't find it cheaper anywhere else because we're trying to undercut the market because we're a startup. Okay. So if you need micro, if you need equipment, budget like three to five hundred bucks, and you can get, like you can get two mics and interface, and then um. Yeah, I can help you. I'm happy to be a consultant okay. as well. You know, I do this all day. I podcast all day. I've been doing it for eight years. You know, my brain, is, my brain is open to be picked. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to uh, continue this relationship and build on it. And next time, hopefully, we can kind of get past the military thing because I know we had a whole bunch of conversations lined up. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll bring it back. Um, my, my policy is guests come back once a quarter. Um, okay. So that'll be April, April, May, sometime this spring. We can bring it back. We can do it all over again. Um, there's ways to get around that. We can talk about that too. Um, okay. But anything else you want to ask me? Because me podcast later, last question always goes to the guest. Last question. Mm. You can play the fifth if you want to. Soccer or football? <laughs> do what I call it? Yeah, that's okay. That's a good question. Um, I'm an American dude. I'll call it soccer. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm an American. It's, it's that, Americans, want, Americans, Americans call it soccer. Well, and I got a flex. I am. I'm a huge Seahawks fan. So. All right. Go Hawks. Yeah. Sorry. About, I guess, uh, you're, you're lucky about Geno Smith and uh, sorry, Russell Wilson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, Russell Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ladies and um, gentlemen, that has been my guest, uh, John Pulsifer. John, anything you want to plug your business, your website, your TikTok, your socials, anything, my friend, the floor is yours. Absolutely. Real quick, um, TikTok at Seattleite Kid. 
And then my Instagram is going to be surviving Sin City 360 for now. Uh, you catch me on there sooner than later, please reach out, uh, not only for window cleaning, but just some personal advice. You know, I'm a 32-year-old millennial who's lived a lot of life. Um, so hit me up for any questions. Awesome. And ladies and gentlemen, my name is Will Tash. That's T as in Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K. Another big thank you to my guest, John, uh, entrepreneur, military man, aircraft man, family man, and my kind of man. Um, I am very happy we had this conversation. If you want to be able to have a conversation just like the two of us, reach out to me on TikTok at Talk with Tarashuk, at Instagram, Talk with Tarashuk. Uh, drop a comment on our YouTubes at Talking with Tarashuk, or email me, will, at APSpodcast.com. That's APS. P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com to learn more. If you make me go, ooh, that's interesting. You're on the show. Sir, your hand is up. Is there one more thing? I know. Have a good night, Will. Awesome. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll see you next time. But until then, y'all take care.